If you have your Bibles, we want to go to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I'm proud of you. week before last, of course, you know I had announced that we'll be speaking on adultery. And I was proud to see how many showed up. And then I announced the, sec- the next thing that Jesus taught on that we'll be speaking on is divorce. And I'm so glad to see so many here tonight with a subject like that. But hallelujah, Jesus knows how to cover it all. And He knows how to redeem us and heal us and deliver us from it all. And I want to show you something in Matthew chapter 5. We shared, of course, it's amazing as Jesus gathers disciples. And Wednesday night we're teaching on discipleship. And it's amazing that the first thing Jesus addressed was anger. Not adultery, not divorce. It was anger. And it says in the last days before He comes and at His return, the earth will be filled with violence. And it's amazing. And I believe that if Jesus would come back today, He would be majoring on these same themes. Anger, adultery, and divorce. And I shared with you, of course, as Jesus taught us, in the subject as far as anger goes, He says, I'm just not going to address, address anger. He says, if you hold something in your heart against your brother, you've already committed murder. Where? In your heart. And you know, it's easy at times to cast judgment on a murderer, but not so much pass judgment on our anger. So we've taught on this. Then we taught on adultery. and Oh man, how horrible those people are adulterous and so forth and so on. And it is a horrible sin, but Jesus says, but yet... If you look upon a woman with lust or a man with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And so I was, you know, he would be speaking on these subjects and I started thinking, he didn't quite say it this way, but I think he would approve of this. If he addressed the issue of anger and murder in the heart, adultery and lust in the heart, so many times we can also look down upon the divorcee or the divorcer, if there is such a thing, and say, she's a divorcee, he's a divorcer. But I wonder that if we follow the way Jesus taught it here, that if you even think and desire of divorcing your wife or your husband, you've already committed divorce in your heart. He addressed it in the other two. He didn't quite say it this time, but how many times two people are living together, but they can't stand each other. And they hate the sight of each other. And they hate the smell of each other. And if they do sleep in the same bed, they can't stand it when a foot accidentally touches them. And they can't stand, they're eating at the same table but you can feel the atmosphere going forward towards them in their heart. And so I think that since Christ, He knows how to touch and cover everything, I think He would touch that. And you know, I love what Brother T.D. Jake said. He said, he said uh, when he goes and he hears somebody get up for the anniversary, and they get up and they say, I have been married all these years to this wonderful woman. 
She has satisfied my every need and it has been heaven on earth. Or someone would get up and say, it has been 25, 35, 45 years with this prince of a man. And I love Brother T.D. He's so down earth. He says, give me somebody who will get up and say, I have lived with this man for 40 years and I still love him. Still. The word, still, I still love it. He goes, now, I'll celebrate at that anniversary. Because that's somebody real and that's somebody true. And, and, you know, it's like, you know, many times we've had people tell us, and I've people tell me, you know, well, Pastor, we just see the way you look at your wife. And we just, we can just see how you look at and how you love her. And I'm thinking, oh, but there's some other looks. <laughs> there are some other looks at times. That if you could see, it may not be uh, melty. It may be like Superman, I'm trying to melt her. Or she's trying to melt me. Everything is by the grace of God. Amen. And so, uh, one thing I want to share with you is, uh, there's so many good books, but one is Growing. Say that with me, Growing. Growing Through Divorce, and it's by Jim Smoke. And I started giving you some names of some books to recommend that you read for healing. But it's Growing Through Divorce by Jim Smoke. And I'm sure we can see by getting this on the website. Also, here comes Brother Bob, so you can look it up. But I want you to see here, Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 31. I want to see, Furthermore, it has been said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say, Jesus says, I've got news. I say to you that whosoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now, we want to study these things. Look with me also in chapter 19 of Matthew. Let's go ahead and look at Matthew chapter 19. I believe there's some things we're going to see tonight. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with these questions. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning God made male and female, and he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife away, a written notice of divorce, and send her away, they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else's commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. They go on to say, Jesus' disciples then said to him, If this is the case, it is better not to marry. Not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said. How many of you married people say amen to that? It was one. <laughs> How many of you people can stay unmarried and be happy for the rest of your life? Okay. Two. Three. Okay. Okay. So, how many can say it is good to be married? Amen. Not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said. Only those whom God helps. Some are born as eunuchs. <laughs> Some have been made eunuchs by others, like the ex-wives. 
And and some chose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. It's quiet in here. But they said, well, it's better not to get married. Jesus says, I'm not saying that. If you can live the rest of your life alone, then good. But some are born. Some God help and gives the grace, which is the the ministry of uh, celibacy. God helps a person be that way. Others are born eunuchs and some are made eunuchs. Because in the natural, you're made to love and give yourself and, and receive from others. And one of the things, you know, I, I want you to know that I heard my dad say all his life as a pastor that it's easy for a minister, for a Christian to say, well, you know, you're divorced. You can't ever marry again. And I always heard my dad say, it's easy to say that when you got somebody to go home to, somebody to go to bed with, somebody to eat at the table with, somebody to drink coffee with, somebody to love, somebody to love you back. It's easy to tell somebody... Now, you got to stay. You know what the Bible says. you got to stay single for the rest of your life. It says it's easy for someone who's married to say that, but it's but let the shoe be switched. And it's not so easy to say, I'm going to sit at the table by myself for the rest of my life and go to bed by myself for the rest of my life, eat my birthday donut by myself the rest of my life. You know? But divorce is something very serious in this country, and I want to read this article. Uh, in January of 2000, the New York Times had a front page and it said, 51% of women are now living without a spouse. The article proclaimed that this was a first for America. The Times appeared eager to announce that our nation had boldly entered into a new frontier of unattached women. And that marriage is an institution in decline. How many bind that in the name of Jesus? Article after article, it's as if there's an intentional effort to say, if your family's falling apart, don't worry, everybody else is too. It's okay. Life may even be better without traditional family. Go ahead and feel liberated. You see what what they're pushing? This is negative peer pressure and even causing Christians to think that marriage is really failing and may as well be abandoned. It's a lie. But many are believing it. Today, 41 to 50 percent of all marriages wind up in divorce. 60 to 67 percent of those divorced once end up getting divorced a second time. And those who are trying to get married a third time, 74 percent have a chance of failing. The rate of Christians is is, uh, excelling. Uh, there's a growing number of single people who are never getting married. There's a book out uh, by an a, a African-American author who said marriage is only for white people. But how many of you know the white people are saying marriage is only for the Chinese, I guess, because <laughs> who's, who's really getting successful at it? What is happening is that American families are under attack and there's a spiritual battle going on into, in our culture. out of 100 end in divorce. But listen to this. 30% of our children are living in divorced homes. And how many know that so many times those are the ones that are hurting? And now, if you've been divorced, especially if you were divorced before you became a Christian, it's all on the blood. And if you've been divorced, 
you're in a new time and a new day and a new start. But it's important to get a hold of the Word of God because it says in Malachi, God hates divorce. He hates it. And so it's a new time and a new day. And if you've gotten married, and if you're married right now, you are going to have to work hard and make it work. Amen. God hates divorce. Now, we've had people in this church get divorced and and get remarried. And I know their testimonies that they stood and they stood and they stood and they stood for their mates for years and years and years. And it seemed like, you know, that, you know, will they ever change? And finally God brought someone else in, in their life. But what we want to see is God said the way God, Jesus said the way God intentionally meant it to happen was for a, fa- a husband to leave his father, join, join himself to his wife, and the two to become one. Because how many you know marriage is a sacred, divine institution? It's the one that Paul used twice as a revelation of Christ with the church. So marriage is so holy, so divine, so sacred that it's used to give an example to us about Christ and the church. Divorce is a hindrance to the righteous life and it affects home, church, and the world. The rabbis in their studies say this. We find God is long-suffering to every sin except the sin of unfaithfulness because it causes the glory of God to depart. Now, this is interesting what the rabbis say. They say when a person divorces, that the very altar sheds tears. The very altar, Ark of the Covenant, sheds tears when a man divorces his wife, the wife of his youth. Now, we read here in just a few scriptures that they asked, well, why did Moses give us the bill of divorcement? And Jesus said, it's because of the hardness of your hearts. And when you go study it, and we'll, we'll, we'll look at it. Look with me in Deuteronomy 24. I want you to see it yourself. Deuteronomy 24. Why was there the bill of divorcement? Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. Of course, you know, when someone breaks a covenant, it releases them from the covenant through adultery. But I want you to see here in Deuteronomy 24... Verse 1 and 4, this is the Living Bible. Because this was interesting, and when you go study it, it's real interesting. It says, suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Now just take your time, because a lot of people say, well, my wife don't please me. Just hold up here. Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes her a letter of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. When she leaves his house, she is free to marry another man. But if the second husband also turns against her and divorces her, or if she dies, the first husband may not marry her again, for she has been defiled. That would be detestable to the Lord. You must not bring guilt upon... Look at this, what it says. You must not bring guilt upon the land. It brings a curse on the land. The Lord your God is giving you as a special possession. Now, I just want to share with you quickly... What this is talking about, when you look it up in the Hebrew writings and you study this in the Hebrew, it's very interesting. The bill of divorcement, it says if you get married and you're not happy with her and you find something unclean about her, then you can write her a divorce and you can send her away. Now, a lot of people uh, say, well, you know, she found out that she wasn't a virgin or this or that or the other. No, no, no. How many of you know in those days the majority was arranged marriages? And the bill of divorcement, according to the rabbis and the Hebrew studies, is this bill of divorcement was to protect the lady. 
Because in these days, women were considered a possession and a thing. How many of you know that? They were not even able to enter into the temple. They were considered a thing or possession. So the bill of divorcement was to protect the lady because if the man got married to this woman and find out, you know, man, she can't, she can't cook. This ain't, I can't live with this. I'm going to end up killing her and we'll both get stoned. Well, no, she'll be dead. I'll get killed. You know, or, or if they find out. It's not that you find out she wasn't a virgin. It's you find out you cannot live with this woman. Then you write a bill of divorcement because it was an arranged marriage. You write a bill of divorcement because this frees her and causes her to be open again to remarry. It was to protect the lady. But the rabbis in the times of Jesus, they had all these years to change it around where if I don't like her, I'll just get rid of her and get me another one. Isn't that the way it is today? And Jesus came and said, under the law of Moses, you were given that because of the hardness of your hearts because you said, I can't live with this woman. I'm not even going to make it work because women were just a thing. But how many of you know they're made in the image of God too? And so the Lord was protecting the lady so that she could get remarried again. And so you, you can study all this, it, that the word uncleanliness is not sexual, but it's a physical or a natural defect. Maybe it was arranged marriage and come to find out that, that uh, the man or the lady could not reproduce or, or there was some problems there or something like that. And their dream was to get married. So, you know, they decided, well, this is not going to work. My desire is to get married. So, and there's something wrong with this woman and this man. And he did not tell us that something was wrong with him or something was wrong with her. So there was all of these type of things that meant uncleanliness. But it not, did not mean that the person was unclean in the sexual way. But it says in Matthew 19.3 that they had, an, they had an opened way for divorce for convenience sake. And they had turned around just for any type of reason. In Matthew 19.7, you can see that the rabbis had already twisted it. And uh, there was, the only restriction was to protect the victims, which was the ladies. But Moses did not encourage divorce. And also we see Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. What was he saying? It's a human problem. God ordained man and wife to get married, but it's a human problem. So he had to do this. Moses was even divorced because his wife left him. Ziglag, whatever her name was. Uh, not Ziglag, but... Huh? Zipporah. Bad, her name meant bad bird. He did not know she was a bad bird when he married her. He was off in the desert all by himself and lonely. He married this woman and she ended, she was, she was a devil. Anyway, he divorced her and later on married another one. And, uh, Moses was buried by God's own hand, so, uh, I guess it's okay. But anyway, we see that, uh, in Genesis, you can just write this down in Genesis 2, 18 and 19. And I want you, I want you to hear this. And I, and I really hope the young people can get a hold of this somehow that, us fathers and mothers can share with them. This is the thing Jesus said. Even though Moses gave the right of divorcement, this is not God's intentional plan. Say that with me. Intentional plan. Now, this is what Jesus is saying there. This is what I believe Jesus is saying there. And I want you to get this in your heart for your children and for yourself if you're believing for a mate. First of all, God created a woman for the man. God's intentional plan is that God knows the perfect woman for every man and the perfect man for every woman. Now, if we want to stay free from divorce, we've now that we have light on the subject, and because we're training our children, 
We've got to train them that God's intentional plan is that God is preparing the perfect woman for you and the perfect man for you. God's intentional plan. Now, many people say they got married at at, uh, love at first sight and then they come out and they say it was really lust at first sight. And the lust after the years die and then they said, I'm not happy with what I got. But how many of you know that God has an intentional plan and when we seek first God's plan in His kingdom, He has the right woman for the right man and that is what destroys the power of divorce. We don't get married because of loneliness. We don't pick our mate because of just looks. Thank God for attraction. But the thing that God is saying, He he made man and woman. He put them together. He knows who's best for each man and for each woman. Now, if we get out of that plan, we're going to be heading in trouble, and it will be difficult to make it many, many years in marriage. But he has, an, he has a plan. He sovereignly overlooks the preparation and the revelation. He overlooks the revelation of who's to be, be your mate. And also, he overlooks the consummation of your love, bringing the right wife and the husband at the right time and the right way because the church is a divine institution. How many of, how many of you know that when you say, I do... You you say publicly before God and witnesses until death do you part. Uh, uh, One of our favorite movies that we've seen ever since we started dating, started in the 70s, was Rocky. I talk about Rocky all the time. I love Rocky. And I remember what they said in Sports Illustrated when the first Rocky came out. They said, what did you think about the movie? Didn't it look real? He said, oh, it's nice when you can box a little while and then somebody can shout, cut! But he says, when it's real boxers... You got to fight. And, and you're not waiting for somebody to say cut. Okay, wrap it up. That's a show. You got to go all 15 rounds. Well, it's the same way in marriage. You just can't say cut. I'm out of here. Wait a minute. You said you want to be a heavyweight. <laughs> you said you wanted to make this marriage work. So it's no cut. I'm getting out of here. It's cut it out, devil. I'm not getting out of here. I'm staying and I'm going to make this work. And it is work. And it is to study. It is to get revelation. And as you grow in marriage, it's amazing how much more revelation you get why you came together instead of trying to get a lot of revelation why you should have never came together. Huh? There's a lot of people. They sure rack up a lot of things over the years. Well, I I should have never married you. Well, give me a reason. I'll give you ten. You got time? Everybody's got revelation. Why they shouldn't have got married? What's, what's the revelations that you should have? Now, when my wife and I first got married back in 82, and we moved to the mission field, I mean, we done told you. We fight like cats and dogs. She's chased me with hammer and broom and... Oh, yeah. I've had potatoes and tomatoes thrown at me. I mean, we've, we've had some rough times. And I've done my things, too. Put... Busted holes in the wall. Yeah, I've busted holes in the wall. I've busted holes in, in uh, kicked holes in the door. I mean, a, a lot of things. I just got to be honest. And it was always her fault. Oh, you got some stories? Oh, oh, no, she'll have her time. She'll have her time. This is my message. 
She'll have her time. Maybe when I'm gone to uh, Washington, she can tell her stories. But I've done my things too, I admit. But we don't do that anymore. But I would ask God, God, why did you give me that woman? You sent the prophets and confirmed it. I fell head over here, waited three years for her. Uh, you confirmed it. You spoke to me about it. You gave us scriptures about it. You brought her into my life. But Lord, why? And the first, you know, you heap up revelation. Lord, why? But as the years go by, man, that, that little devil was the best thing. No. Those things, she knows better. I was the devil. But those things is what made our marriage and is making our marriage strong. There's things about me she can't stand, things about her I cannot stand. But it's gotten easier over the 26 years. And, and now we have revelation why we've been brought together. Even though, even though she's certified Christian counselor, and even the studies say that her personality and my personality really don't belong together. But if I would have married those personalities that belong to my personality, I wouldn't have made it through the jungles, through the warfare, through the fights. I wouldn't have made it on the mission field 18 years with any other lady but this lady that God gave me and revealed that what she had and what I had got us through that time. If I would have had just a little wife who just go along with me and say, yes, master, yes, master, and, and just do whatever I wanted and it's all that, I could have made, I would have, I might have already killed us. But because God gave her a character to speak up and share her heart and share her mind, and that she's not moving until she knows it's God, it saved me. From not only messing her and my life up, but our children's life up. As the years go, what has helped is the revelation why we belong together. How we flow together. What we can do together. And so God's in charge of the revelation of why, who belongs to who. I know pastors and their wives, they say, I would have never chose, even one of my pastors say it in all of his seminars. I would have never chosen my wife. But God spoke to me. And showed me she was my wife. And I fell in love with her. Revelation helps bring that, the wife together. We also see in Genesis 2.25, we won't go there. And in Hebrews 13.4, it says that... Well, we want to look at Hebrews 13.4. It says that marriage is one of the most holiest, sweetest, precious things on earth. Hebrews 13.4. And so the Lord is saying, I, I hate when what I created to be sweet and holy. And look what it says here in chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all. Wow. And the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, adulterers God will judge. It says, honor, the message translation says, honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. God draws a firm line against casual. How many of that word's used a lot? Casual, illicit sex. God draws, draws a firm line. He says, 
marriage and the marriage bed is holy, is divine, it's pure. And so he, he does not like anyone messing that up. Amen. And uh, I love this story about a Chinese, I mean a Japanese missionary. This is what he wrote. Over the years, never tired of relating his own experience of sleeping in the... He calls waiting for his wife sleeping in the will of God. So far as marriage is concerned. Said he, I talked with my sweetheart for 30... Listen to this. I talked with my sweetheart for 30 short seconds. Never spoke to her by word of mouth again for six years. And waited a total of seven blessed years before I married her. Once during this time, I woke up and almost got the wrong lady. (laughs) but by His grace was enabled to go back to sleep in His will and wait for His time, His way, and His choice for me. Never have I been least regretful by the seven years sleep. Rather than being any kind of nightmare, it was more like Jacob's sleep for Rachel, for whom he waited seven years, for which time seemed unto him but a few days, but for the love he had for her. His challenge to Christian young people is sleep on in God's perfect will or questioning believe, oh, questioning believer. He will awaken you in His time and will either present you with His choice or allow you to sleep on until the great day when people neither marriage nor are given in marriage. He called it a sleep, waiting for God to bring the right one. Maybe that's what we need to pray over our children. That they sleep that sleep of holiness until God brings the right one into their life. Amen. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Genesis 2.24. And then Jesus added, What God has joined together, let no man separate. Matthew 19.6. In these two passages, there are no provision for divorce. Room is left for repentance and reconciliation. Although the sins of fornication and adultery are hateful and exceedingly hurtful, they are not unpardonable. And if God can forgive, we must forgive, even though there are inevitable, inevitable consequences of forgiven sin. Aren't you thankful that God forgives all the sin? Amen. That nevertheless, God's grace is sufficient to cover every sin, even this one. Therefore, when there's repentance and reconciliation, there can be restoration and divorce can be adverted. How many receive that? Amen. And uh, now there, there's something that also in Deuteronomy 22:24 it shows the penalty of unfaithfulness. You can write this down, Deuteronomy 22:24. This is interesting. That's, that's something we need to know, and our children need to know. That when a couple is engaged, bachelor parties, where there's sin involved, is of the devil. If you remember that it said that Mary and Joseph were engaged. And in the time of engagement, it was against the rules of God to have any type of sexual intercourse with anyone, even while you were engaged, even with the person you're engaged to. Now, I know you know this, but it bears repeating because the mentality today, as it said there in a casual, illicit sex, is for a man and a woman to try it out before getting married. Or we're consulting adults. Why don't we just live together? Because we will get it right once we get married. And even according to the Word of God in Deuteronomy 22 and 24, it's sin, even if you're engaged, 
to each other or if you end up falling with someone else, it, it's still considered sin. Now, they weren't stoned for that, but they still had to pay a penalty for engaging in what was called fornication while they were engaged and before they were engaged. So how many of you know that we need to teach that to our children? And, and, you know, you can read there about Joseph in Matthew 1, 18 through 25, that when he discovered Mary was pregnant, he was minded to put her away secretly since he was a just man, not wanting to make her a public example. He had the right to put her away because they weren't actually married yet, but he was a just man. And then God sent an angel to speak to her. But we see that uh, engagement is just as important because people, today you hear people say, well, you know, I heard you, hey, but I heard you're engaged. I'm engaged, but I'm not married yet. When you're engaged, you're just as committed to that woman and that man like, like you are if you were married. Amen. Amen, Amen church. Amen. Well, you know, I haven't said the vows yet. Well, when you get engaged before God, you're, just, you're, you're already betrothed. You're already committed. So there's no place there to, to be messing up before you're married or even after you're married. Amen. It says in Genesis 2.18, It is not good for man should be alone. I will make him a helper, a helper comparable to him. So thank God God is in control of making a helpmate comparable to, your, to you. And it says the purpose of marriage is fellowship and fruitfulness in the Lord. Nothing is more precious or powerful than fellowship of life, love, service, and prayer of a happily married couple. That's why 1 Peter 3.7 says that we are heirs, to, heirs together. Say together. We were heirs together. My wife and I, I, I cannot blame success of raising children or success on ministry or success in finances. I can't blame, I can't claim all that on my faith or who I am. Like she can't claim it either. We receive things as heirs together, praying and working and believing God together. God made her for me and God made me for her. And, and we do it together and there's nothing more precious than that. And thus, the foundation of a happy home and a strong church and a righteous nation is men and women getting the vision in the Revelation day that God is in control of putting us together, but He also wants us to stay together and that He hates divorce. Amen. We've seen that the life of righteousness, there is no need for divorce or even unhappiness. God give you the grace to even fall in love with that person you may feel like you're falling out of love with. For those outside of Christ, there is the convicting and the correcting of the law. For those in Christ, there is a redemptive and directive answer through the Holy Spirit that can bring a divine plan, purity, long-suffering and purpose to marriage in the Lord. How I many you know God wants to heal marriages because strong marriages is what's going to make this city, this nation, this church, and our home strong. God wants us to have strong marriages. And even if it's been years and, and you have not been happy, and, and uh, it may be like, like fa uh, some family I know that, uh, not here, but in another state, even the, the husband and wife may not sleep together. They may sleep in separate rooms and they're just coexisting. And that goes on a lot today. They coexist. God wants to heal those type of marriages to where you're not living these lives just per putting up with each other, but you're living these lives just falling deeper and deeper in love and understanding and revelation. God wants you to enjoy marriage. Can you smile, husbands? Can you smile, wives? Hallelujah. Amen. A few of you can. Hallelujah. We want to believe that God is healing marriages and divorce is on a decline here in this area. But the way divorce will be on a decline is if we all have a revelation, every single person has a revelation, God has the perfect woman, the perfect man for you. 
Go back to sleep until she or he arrives. Don't rush it. You don't want a divorce? Then don't rush into marriage. Don't marry the wrong one. Don't marry the wrong one. He says, all of your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. If we want the divorce rate to go down, we won't get married because we met somebody six weeks ago. We won't get married because we met somebody six days ago. We'll get married because God will give you a word. She's the one. He's the one. You won't marry someone because they run around the church, they raise their hands, they dance, they sing, and they're faithful to church. Because I dated a girl like that one time and come to find out she was real good in church, but she was a devil outside of church. What you've got to do is you've got to realize that you've got to hear from God who's the right one. And when I broke up with that girl because of... I, there was even a series I had to cast the devil out of her because she went crazy. And I broke up with her. And I was walking in the pine trees there in Ville Platte. I remember where I was walking. On the way to Circle Driveway. And I was 15 years old. And I said, Father, I'm not going to date anymore. And I asked you to give me the grace that I'm not dating anymore until you bring the right girl into my life. And I meant it. I know where I was standing when I said that. And it wasn't but a few weeks or months later that my wife then moved from Baton Rouge to Ville Platte and they came to church. And I saw her. And I mean, it was just, it was just a, you know, we can make a movie, huh, baby? <laughs> I even uh, made one of my friends go take a picture of her. On the, uh, she was sitting on the third row over on this side. And I made him go take a picture. I dared him because I was too scared. And he would take a picture. And I still have those pictures of the very first time that I saw her. Well, the second time that I saw her. But I made that vow. That's it. And God brought us together. And I was still, I, I was a week from 16 when we started dating. So God didn't take too long. Hallelujah. But he knew my heart that, Lord, I, I want to just wait for the right one. I don't want to go through all this junk and put up with all this stuff. I want the right one, Lord. And he brought me the right one. He'll bring you the right one. And if, and if you are married, he'll fix your marriage. He'll fix your life. He'll give you the grace to where your marriage will reveal and show God's love for His bride and the bride's love for her husband. Amen. So let's stand up.